Oh, I love that. I love that. So when we're talking about uh, technology, uh, we don't want to implement it just to have it. First thing we touch on is when we're doing our estimating all too often, uh, we'll get these great estimates. And then when it comes time to actually put that into our system, that's kind of where we start to get log jammed a little bit. So all too often those estimates then get converted into lump sum so that we can quickly get it into the system and start cutting purchase orders. That really defeats the purpose of what we're doing. We want to break down to those parts and pieces. That's the same way we want to buy. Uh, I don't want to buy my lumber package. I'm going to buy each individual stick that I need. Easiest way to do that is to investigate the ways that you can take your estimate and get it into your system without all that manual entry. One, it's much faster. More importantly, if any of you guys have ever sat there and just keyed in bill of quantities for a home, you're gonna make mistakes. Uh, as you're sitting there typing them in, you're gonna fat finger something. It wasn't that your estimate was wrong, it was that your entry was wrong when you did it. So look for ways to automate that process so that when you finish your estimate, you can just transfer it directly into your system and you're ready to go, you're up and running. We want to automate as much as possible to take advantage of repeatable functions. In the estimating world, that's uh, a lot of our assembly based as we're building those out is really focusing on what are those constants in a home? I have for every estimate that I do, the first one I hit is called base house. It's got typically for most of our clients, uh, anywhere from about 120 to 150 items uh, that are just the things you have to have. They're the easy things to forget. Uh, and again, we're trying to build on that efficiency by just knowing we need these. So let's get them in there for moment one so that we can move forward. Uh, so first off, uh, when estimating, so I've, I've been doing this for about 17 years, working with clients across the country. The number one thing that we see that sets us on a bad path immediately is we start to go into these tech spaces, pretty much any tech space, certainly with estimating. And we want to believe that our superintendents are just going to be the end user of this. And that's not really the case. They're a part of the solution for us. So we definitely advocate that as we're starting into that estimating process, we want to include our field superintendents in that process with us. They understand how your home's being built. They know intimately what products are going into the home. Um, I'm a purchasing guy. I'm all data. And I'm not going to make the same decision as Ed, who's been out there building forever. We want to collaborate from the beginning uh, and make sure that we're on the same path. Once we have those estimates done, we want to make sure that the builder has uh, access to that same technology. We can do a beautiful 3D framing model, and that means the world to me from the number side. But if my builder doesn't have the opportunity to get in there and actually look at it themselves, and I'm setting them up for failure, uh, and now my estimate's not worth anything, uh, because I didn't give them the keys to hold that estimate to reality. Uh, and the last part is we really want our supers to be that last line. We can do a great estimate. We can buy it out. We can get it to the trade partner with no problem. But now ultimately I need that superintendent to be the one that's going to hold that line. And it's going to make sure that that material is being the, used the way that we estimated it, the way that we designed it to be used and to be the one to hold the trade accountable to make sure that if they're misusing it, that we correct that immediately so that we're not opening ourselves uh, or opening the checkbook more often. Uh, the second common failure that we see uh, is the first time that the trade partner sees this estimate is when you put it on a purchase order. If that's the first time they've seen it, it's way too late. The trade partners also need to be involved uh, from early in the process. We want to collaborate with them on how we're doing the estimates. Important, I'm not saying we're going to do what the trade partner tells us to do, but we do want their input. But then we want to help guide that process so that we're becoming more material 
conscious as we're doing those estimates. Same thing with the database. So all too often, you'll, you'll get an eager purchasing person that will create this beautiful database with all the parts and pieces. Google usually is a huge part of that. Doesn't mean that much to the trade partner. Uh, the trade partner has terminology that they're used to seeing. We want to make sure that we're incorporating that from the beginning so that their purchase order is coming out in a way that they can understand it. It makes sense to them. It's useful to them. Typically, when we do that, we try to work with our preferred partners. So if I have five framers, uh, I may only include two of those framers in that discussion because I don't want too many voices that are going to muddy the process. I want to go after the ones that are, are really my vital trade partners and have them be a part of that decision from the beginning. And then the last part is, if any of you have uh, gone to UPM already, we want to make sure that we're communicating with the trade partners why we're doing this. When you first go to a trade partner and say, we're going to stop lump sum and go to UPM, most common response is, you're ripping me off. We want to make sure that we're clear up front with them that this isn't about anybody taking advantage of anyone. This is about just using our material more wisely, uh, managing our processes better. Uh, and we want to make sure that we're communicating to them that it benefits them as well. And this isn't a one-sided thing. And they're going to also get mutual benefits as you roll forward with that process. As we're going through the process, we want to check in uh, early and often. So once we get the system up and rolling, we want to make sure that we have key metrics that we're going to measure against. In the estimating side, typically what we're really looking for is VPOs. Uh, what was my VPO spend per house before uh, I implemented the technology? I want to check in just a few weeks into it to see what it is and continue to track that to make sure that we're on the same path. We need to be realistic. When you roll out a new system, it's never going to be 100% flawless the day it rolls out. We know there's going to be problems. We need to understand that up front. Uh, we should also be communicating that up front. Make sure that our trade partners know, hey, this is, this is new to us too. Uh, we've tested it, we've vetted it, we feel really good about it. But when you get that purchase order that's really weird, let somebody know. Don't freak out. We know things are going to happen initially as we work those kinks out. A big one that I like to, um, for my purchasing days, we love to have these fights, is we need to know the difference between an estimating error and a variance. That's important to know. Or did we spend extra money because something was wrong? There was theft. There was damage. Another trade caused an issue. Uh, was it a true variance or is my estimate wrong? If my estimate's wrong, I need to go back and fix that. Uh, but I don't need to go back and fix my estimate because something walked off the job site. Um, so we need to be very clear when we're tracking which one of those buckets it falls into. Um, and then the last part is we want to pull our trade partners regularly to see how they feel. My favorite generally is my HVAC guys seem to always be the ones that complain the most when I go to UPM. And that survey day one is going to tell me how much they hate me and my family and my dog and everybody around me. Three months in, they're saying, hey, this isn't too bad. And by about month six to nine, then I start getting the phone call saying, hey, Dave, do you know somebody at this other builder? Could you talk to them and see if they'd go to the same process? Once they start to reap the benefits, then they're going to become fans of yours again. And that's what we want to track through that polling is get a feel for how they're dealing with it, as well as if scores go up and then all of a sudden they start to drop. Now we know we have a problem. Uh, something happens somewhere in the system that needs to be addressed. Um, so that we can keep that moving forward on the right track. Well, and I think that's uh, that's the presentation. So um, I did have some questions for you, and I just also wanted to bring it back to the topic. So as you have heard, we talked a lot about standardization, um, measurement, units, you know, uh, units of measure, just really getting down into the detail. 
And you're probably wondering why you're at a program for uh, focused on innovation and we're talking about standardization. Do any of you guys want to answer that? Or all of you could probably answer that. So standardization helps. The, the, the consistency is what we're, we're going for. And in the end, I want the consistency for the buyers as well. You know, I want the perfect house every single time. You know, why would the goal ever be to deliver a sub-standard house? I want to deliver a perfect house every single time. So the best way to get that is every single one of my trades, I want them to know what my standard is and do it over and over and over again and replicate it. And you were talking about how you manage your people that way. I know a superintendent's going to make mistakes. By the way, I was a superintendent. I was 23 years old, no, tra no training. The first year I was a superintendent, I built the wrong house on the wrong lot. Why? Because I didn't get any training. You know, and I learned. I never did that, did that twice. You know, but this, you need the standardization to get the end result as good, as, as perfect as possible. Buyers are tough these days. It's not getting easier. Yeah, and without that standardization, you really don't know where you are, so you can't really innovate either. Right. You can't really make improvements. Um, I think we were talking one time about a story where um, you were talking about the trades and the trades know best um, on the job. Have you ever had some ideas come from the trades on? Yeah, we, we have plenty of great ideas come from the trades. Even um, our HVAC contractor, I think, is probably one of the best HVAC contractors I've ever dealt with. And this particular contractor has taken six days to do a rough, and these are fairly big houses. But we're working on ways to improve that that time, and we're myself and the owner of that company have gone to jobs when they're doing rough ins, and I was asking the person actually doing the work, how could we be more efficient? What are different things that we can do from a builder side to have the job more ready for you? Um, how can we clear that path to reduce the time? Because you talk about UPM, which is really touching material one time, installing it one time, only using what you need, which reduces cost on our side, but it also reduces cost on, on the trade side, which improves their stuff. And that's not going to come from the owner of that HVAC company. That's going to come from the individual physically pulling hard duck out of his van and, and uh, duck sealing it. So we, we've had plenty of great conversations with the guys. And in fact, that one guy, this, this, um, this example, this the individual, when he's done, he's like, I didn't mean to step on anybody's toes. And I'm like, if anybody knows best on this job, it's you. I want you to keep stepping on toes. <laughs> Great, thank you. And Ed, you used lumber as an example as far as product is concerned. Um, is that something you can do across other products as well? Yeah, I mean, we picked lumber because Dave and I spent a lot of time recently on lumber with what's going on, um, you know, lumber shortages, you know, everything else. But that goes from foundation to the very, very end. Um, you mentioned the, the trim. Uh, we've done that value engine. I hate the word value engineering, but I want to go make sure I'm putting the proper products in. So if I have a first-time buyer, what's acceptable there is not the same if I have a move-up or a luxury home. We, the same exact thing you did with trim, we did with paint. I got tired of seeing paint, so I decided to. I want, It was our goal for a quarter. I said to everybody, we're going to make paint go away. In the end, I spent more money on paint. It wasn't just the paint. It was the process which I applied the paint, how often, you know, when, when we did certain things. Uh, working with a drywall company, we used all our variances to get down to that. Work with all our trades, you know, your your, your premium trades to, to figure that out. In the end, we pretty much took paint and eradicated. It was about seven fifty for a first time first time buyer and about fifteen hundred with a move up. But in the end, we had almost 
half, we had about half the 30-day list after that. They start going down. We got more um, customer referrals. Our referrals are way up. All because we stopped the stupid word paint from showing up on everywhere I looked. And that was a, a team effort. Uh, two, two, two different painters, two different manufacturers, our superintendents, and it took literally about a quarter to come up with a plan, and we tried it. And you mentioned this earlier. You try it, it worked pretty good, and I do what? I make it better and enhance it and keep doing it. You know, and to, at the end, in about six months, we saw the difference. We spent more money. In the end, about a year later, I could prove that that money was actually saved. So all products, by the way, it doesn't matter. That's right. Kitchens, windows, you name it. There's, 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 uh, by using your trades and your manufacturers, that's how you usually find these things. Yeah, great. And then on the technology side, um, there are typically, uh, are, I mean, I find in building, there's a lot of, uh, people that fight the technology, especially in the field. Um, how, how do you overcome that to get some innovation? So I think the first part is, uh, and we talked about, is the initial buy-in. Um, all too often, whether it's a new ERP, uh, it's a new way we're going to do scheduling, we, we tend to introduce that to the field when it's time to use it. And that's not the right time. If we're involving people from the beginning, they're part of that decision process, they're part of the design, they're part of the implementation, uh, it's much easier for them to then feel comfortable with it. I've been with builders where we introduced it to the builders the day we rolled it out and handed them a brand new iPad. And then what you you need to figure out how to use this plus use the system because this is official as of today versus calling them in initially and, and uh, even as simple as. So you're going to be doing your scheduling mobile. Do you have what's the preference? Let's initially decide what platform uh, do you guys want to use? What sort of do you want a surface? Do you want an iPad? Do you want a laptop? Include them in those decisions from the very beginning so that they understand that they're a part of it. And it's not just those at the top saying this is how it's going to be because then we should expect a lot of pushback. And then do you find not only do you get better buy-in that way, but you get other ideas as well? Or? Uh, absolutely. Uh, so like Josh said, generally if I'm meeting with builders, especially uh, starting to talk about what we're going to do on the technology side, I feel like I get really good feedback there. Because being that, that I'm comfortable with tech, something that that may seem complicated to them just seems really easy to me. So I say I'm fine with it. We can do it that way versus getting that feedback of what do you really do on a daily basis? What's the easiest way? Do you really get that feedback on what's going to make their job easier so that I get the benefits that I wanted from the tech, but I'm not hindering their ability to do their job? Oh, you're able to use the tech because once you get the the buy-in and then ownership. Once the superintendent and everybody owns that, they say, I want an iPad, I want to use the technology. Now they own it. Now you've changed the entire game of what you're building, right? So everything we're talking about ties into that piece. So it's really getting their, their ownership. So even with building the schedule and coming up with activities, ask for feedback on that. But here's the, the key thing is you have to be open to receiving that feedback. Because we talked a little bit about variances. So in I come up on the production side, more superintendent related. So every error in the field is typically estimating. Any estimators or person, guys, right? So every time it's always estimating. Now, I'm just joking, right? But that's really how we always talk because uh, it's easy to blame it on somebody else. Well, it's your fault or it's your fault. It's your fault. And I said, well, maybe it is, but what piece is my fault? What piece do I own? And that's, that's when we really start changing. But it's really listening and receiving that feedback and then allowing them 
that position at the table. That's all most people want. That's great. Cool. Well, we have about five minutes left, um, so we wanted to also open it up to see if anybody has any questions of the panel. Is anybody still awake? Yeah. <laughs> oh. When is the best time to do a takeoff of a framing material of the house? So that that really depends on what your business model looks like. Um, for for medium size and larger builders, typically what we advocate is let's actually do a framing takeoff initially based on the master set. So let's get your plan, your base plan, all your elevations, all of your options uh, as those standalone components. And then as you start to roll those into production is to do just kind of a quick refresh to then combine that uh, specific house. Because especially if you're a builder that does a lot of stacked options, that, that lumber uh, list will change as you start to stack those options. We may lose a little bit of lumber. We may need to add some as we're hitting more intersections. So really the, the, the best way is master set with just then a quick refresh. When we're talking to smaller builders, custom home builders, then we typically want to do that estimate as soon as the plan is ready for the site specific. Uh, we want to get it done in advance. Takes a little bit of time. You need to have multiple people uh, reviewing it to make sure that it's a good list. So, so trying to do that estimate the day before you're going to order lumber usually isn't going to be a great option for you, which is really where the master set comes in, is at least you have a good idea of if somebody does this plan, this elevation, and these dozen options, at least have a really good idea of what that list is going to be, knowing that you may just tweak it a little bit uh, for that site specific. The method I've always used is we actually separate the team into two pieces. You have an estimator, that's the that's the smart one. That's the guy that knows construction really well. That's the one that's going to manage those assemblies, ultimately going to be the final set of eyes on the plans. But then we also implement people that we refer to as tracers. That's the person that's going to actually do the tracing, the bulk of the work, because estimators are hard to come by these days. After the crash, most of them left and went on to other things. Uh, the ones that did stay, the days of getting you know a, a twenty to twenty-five dollar an hour estimator are gone. Estimators are worth their weight in gold. So we like to build the system around having somebody uh, that's the estimator who's that decision maker. But then these tracers, I've actually had a lot of success getting people straight out of high school. We can get them cheap. We can teach them how to do it. They can do it over and over and over again as long as there's that estimator that's overseeing it to make sure that the right practices are being used, that the right decisions are being made. But again, it comes back to the details. We had those clear details. If we had clear scopes, then we can overcome some of those issues in the plans uh, and actually still get really accurate estimates out of them. And, and I would say from the field side, I would love to see all estimators spend two years in the field walking homes and touching it and knowing what it feels like. Because if you if you haven't lived that life and went through the grind, then you're not going to receive the feedback from the people in the field because you don't understand it. So I'd love to see more individuals coming out of high school or college and two years in the field and then moving into um, estimating roles because that's, that's where we need people. So finding guys and bringing them in is the ultimate goal. Dave taught me how to, the whole world is unspecialized. So he's got somebody managing and then somebody doing the lower dollar work, which makes a whole lot of sense. What I like doing is as I'm, as I'm training somebody, because we don't always have that luxury of finding somebody and bringing them in, is you got to get the estimators in the field once in a while. Builders never do that. We never get the office that the, the purchasing estimators, whoever, and go out and walk, actually walk the product. Otherwise, you're estimating or you're buying widgets until you go out and see it and see what, what's going on. They just don't know. 
you know, so we promote all the time to get people, to your point, I, I want to get out there, go see what a, what a lumber load looks like. And how I learned this a long time ago is I had an estimator, great uh, technical, very good at anything, computers, could, could do a whole lot of stuff. I never got him in the fields. The first time I went, I sent him out to go audit a lumber load. He came back, he called me, he goes, Ed, you're right, they're ripping us off. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, all those two-by-fours are only an inch and a half. And I realized that it's my fault I didn't teach them. <laughs> you got to get them out in the field. So, so also, um, when it comes to, to getting that estimator, that experience, uh, we can use technology there also. Right, eight or nine months ago now, Shell Brothers uh, was nice enough to just start doing Matterport tours for us in homes that were under construction. Because the days of having to send someone out to the field, are, they're kind of gone. Uh, we've now learned that we can use that same technology. We can use FaceTime or we can use Teams. There's all these different ways to be able to show someone this is what we're doing. This is what's really happening in the home without investing all that time for them to necessarily go out. Uh, it's been a huge advantage for us with as we bring in new estimators as we use those tours and have them uh, done at different times in construction so that we can point out this is what's actually happening. When you make this trace, this is what it is in real life that we're accounting for. Thank you guys all very much for joining us for the panel, and thank you to the panelists. We really appreciate you being here and sharing all that information. So hope you enjoyed. Thank you guys very much. Yeah.